0: We have come upon the Rockonomics Podcast episode number 62. I'm your host, Dylan, and on the show today we have the pleasure of sitting down with third-eye blind drummer Brad Hargrave. Brad has been in the band since they broke out of the Bay Area in 1997 with their self-titled platinum-selling album that spawned the now-classic single, Semi-Charmed Life. Since then, they've released four full-length LPs and a couple seven-track EPs while continuing to tour the globe. I met up with Brad backstage as Third Eye Blind prepared to headline this year's version of their Summer Gods Tour, and our conversation about the early days, side projects, and staying on brand went a little something like this. Minutia of the business, and even minutia of uh, the economics of the business. Right. And one of the things that, you know, strikes me right away in my life is... You know, I played drums like thousands of other kids did. But there's a, an immediate financial horror right there. Like, if you want right. to be a drummer and play a drum kit... I know. Your parents... You're, you're at that age where you're going through fads like every other week. Mm-hmm. Your parents aren't psyched to rush That's, out this, and this spend... Is exactly my childhood. three hundred dollars. This, this was my... This was... The, you know, this is what I faced.
1: I, and uh, so my fourth grade, people... Uh, all my friends got clarinets, and it was the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. All the valves, and levers, and, you know, it's just fascinating. If you ever get a chance to look at a saxophone or a clarinet, mm-hmm. they're works of art. You know, they're like it's just a very cool thing. And of course, I had to have that. And my mom went to the music store. She's like, "Great musical instrument. Oh, it's better to sign up for a year. I get a, I get you know two dollars off a month. One year contract. You know, and then that clarinet was in the closet. You know, within a month, I just <laughs> how much not- was the
0: clarinet? To buy
1: it? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was just, you know, she rented it. So she rented it for a year, but it was, you know, she should have rented it for a month. But she rented (laughs) it for a year because it was a better deal. But after a month, it was in the closet. It's
0: just... And it also sets the tone for your next interest. Yeah,
1: so then, you know, here comes drums, and, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with drums. In about sixth grade, my friend had a guitar, and he's like, I need a drummer, and my dad played a little bit of drums and there's was drumsticks around in my childhood and then but Sick Trey came along Motley Crue saw Tommy Lee play drums on uh, on MTV and you know dressed up like someone from you know but you know he just Spin- dressed like someone i never he had the showmanship he was the coolest looking drummer but you know and, and you know that that's a big part of what he does. But actually, Tommy Lee's feel is amazing. He doesn't get any credit for being a great mm-hmm. drummer. I personally think he's a great drummer. So um, I was just obsessed in sixth grade, and so I told my mom, of course, all right, drums. This is it. This is it. Mom was like, head shake, no, you will not be getting drums. You know, and, and like you said, they're expensive. There, it's more than you can't. Got to be a double bass too. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, so that that was a tough. So, but what it made me do is I built a drum set. I had a hubcap. I would collect things. I would, on hikes, I would see. I had like an ashtray turned upside down and a light switch. So I had different hi hat sounds. I had different sized boxes. I had to stomp on the floor for the kick drum. And uh, hubcap, yeah. And then, and I had one practice pad. So that was my snare. And it was set up on a chair. So I, I had a drum kit and I, I had recordings. I actually. Do you really? Yeah, I played it for three years because my mom was like, nope. Nope, nope. Prove so it wasn't until freshman year, I saved up half the money. She put in half the money, and I bought a Ludwig drum set for 500 bucks, which was... Back then, it was... A shit ton of money. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that you know, and, well, you know, I kept, 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 kept going with it, so... What about
0: lessons? Did you get them through school? I t- yeah, you?
1: I took lessons. I think I was even taking lessons before I got a drum set. I think around eighth grade, I started getting drum lessons, and then,
0: you know, we had that really but is that an added expense or is that something you can do in, at school no school? it was an added
1: expense it was okay. private lessons that wasn't associated so, yeah, with yeah. The, it was like a recommendation and then it was like the teacher a really good teacher got me you know thinking about technique and different different beats and different stuff and then eventually graduating to studying with his teachers you know, the teacher they mm-hmm. taught him his teacher so who was kind of an institution that is a guy named Chuck Brown. He taught Terry Bozio and like some, he was a big Bay area. He was a big deal in the Bay area. So, and he was a real strict technician. So that was, uh, and I got into that. You had to be accepted. So like, I think, I think junior year in uh, high school,
0: I finally got accepted to be, get lessons did, from him. Did you have the right mindset? Like were you, pay, I, I noticed as a kid, like kids don't want patience. They don't want to learn the fundamentals. They don't, you know, they want to go right to. No,
1: I was upset. I was, uh I was, for whatever reason, and I think I got it from my dad he was uh he was always someone who would like whatever he did, he was meticulous about it and if he was, if it was getting in shape because he you know he was building up to, to run a race or you know go sail you know he'd sail these things called the transpa to Hawaii on a boat and he'd get in shape and he would chart i ran this i did this many pull ups right. i did this and he'd you know Pages of them, and I would just see it as, a, and he was just meticulous about that stuff. And I think that was sort of, I, he showed me the blueprint about how to, you know, how to work on something. Right, right. And how to, like, not expect it all to happen tomorrow, but, like, look, it's a process, and over
0: weeks, months, years, this is how you get better at something. Mm-hmm. That's the approach I took. So, were you thinking at that age two, um, career, or, you know, that, or, or like, it's funny, uh, I, I pulled a, a quote from you that you said, you never really thought about fame and fortune.
1: I didn't. I never thought about like I'm going to get in a rock band and try to make it. I always just thought about I want to play music. This is what makes me happy, and I want to be in musical situations that make me happy. And so that was my my path. And that was I always stayed true to that. And and it through a, so many so through so much happenstance that I came to meet Stephen. And the, I mean, there's. You know the margins of never meeting him are right. so thin. Like, you know, like I, I could—it's a very long story, but it has to do with getting accepted to a college and like being rejected, and then but having gone the day before and met met with the music program guy or the music director. So he's like, if you get if you happen to be rejected, sometimes I can help out. So like I met him the day before. I met him the day. I met him on a certain day. Mm-hmm. I got home from that meeting, having not heard from the college yet. I got my letter and said, no, you're not accepted. The day I got back. From, so, like, if I got that letter the day before, I would have never gone over to meet right, the right. guy. Because I would have just been like, all hopes lost. Okay, plan B. And if I, you know, so, you know, by, an hour, by 24 hours, right, right. my, you know, changes. I would go into SF State. and You know, Stephen was in the music scene. I maybe could have met him, but, like, I ended up living 100 yards as a crow flies from his house. He was just around the corner, and he's, you know, he's a little bit older than me, so I met him through somebody I went to school with that knew the guitar player at the time in the band, so it was just this very, you know, a very lucky set of circumstances that even had me meeting him. So. Okay. And, that, you know, that's, that's the story of my life right there in a the nutshell. You know, if I don't meet Stephen Jenkins... it helps if you're a drummer and you don't meet a generational songwriter, times are tough
0: right now. Yeah, no. So, but what's interesting to me is like going to school and studying music. So you were on a path, even a different path that, you know, going to college. I mean, were you in a college that that, that happened to have music and you pursue it? Well, I was, it was what I did. I went to community college.
1: much to my parents' chagrin, I didn't go to a four-year school right out, of college, or right out of high school. I was so focused on music that I went to College Moran, which is a uh, community college, mm-hmm. and went to Sonoma State University because they had this amazing jazz program. I was kind of a jazzer at the time. So I did that, and that was great. I, had, I met this guy, George Marsh, who's this amazing uh Player and teacher, and it was he was the complete opposite of the guy I studied with all the way up to that point, Chuck Brown, who I talked about. And so he really just opened me up in a in a really interesting way to be like, okay, you know, here's there's there's such a wide spectrum of what drumming is and how you can think about it. So I did that. Um, wait, what what were we talking about? What was uh,
0: going to school? Oh yeah, before, going to school. You know, so with, yeah, so I did music. that,
1: and then uh, and then. After a while, it was like, well, I do want to get a four-year degree from my mom. She's like, real, you know, she's a big stickler about it. So, and I wanted to get it from Cal, and so that was the uh, was that can be a problem. Uh, we'll talk yeah, over it. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so that's when that whole that whole next phase of like just you know, happening to meeting meeting the guy because it wasn't the it wasn't the music program that I met with. It was uh, it was a uh, club. It was, mm-hmm. called, it was like the jazz club. Okay, and so. That was the, you know, critical meeting that, like, if I, you know, but not for that meeting, I might have never, you know, reapplied and gotten in with this guy's help to Cal. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, meeting Stephen, who knows if that happens. So,
0: so what, what is the circumstances to meeting Stephen? Like, what, was he looking for a drummer at the time? or, he or was, like, Why, yeah, why he, was there an introduction? He, he, in
1: 1993 or thereabouts, he was putting together... He he had he'd been doing music for ten years, and in nineteen ninety three, I think he made this sort of shift from doing. He was doing this kind of like hip hop ish kind of thing Hopefully. to. Uh, I don't even yeah, I don't even know what you call it, but um, ta- kind of transitioning over to like doing more of a rock alternative kind of kind of project. So he was hand picking people, and the final piece that they hadn't found, you know, they had different guys that that were playing with them, but I guess they for whatever reason he didn't wasn't, it wasn't settled and so I squeaked in there the last possible minute was through a guy that I was taking a music class with at Cal and he recommended me for an audition I went down there and uh, somehow you know it wasn't immediate it wasn't like you're the guy it right, was like right. over about six months it was like okay you're in You know, and that, over that six months was say mid 95 and we, or early '95, and by the end of 1995, we were showcasing for all the biggest record companies. Flying to New York, you know, flying to New York three or four times,
0: and uh, it was it was exciting. It was okay, exciting, well, I, time. I like I like to hear more about that because yeah. it's you know it's, it's excitement none of us get. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's one of the things I was interested in, in in researching you. I didn't know when you got in, so you did get in. I know you're original, you're an original yeah. member. But you did get in ground level, so you did get part of the, the schmoozing and, you know. Oh, yeah. Where, where, where was, like, how long did that take? How long, I mean, was he already, Um. did, did he start a groundswell and then you got in right He. When,
1: you uh know? no, he, it was, a, our manager at the time had, you know, he was having a really hard time handing his, the demo tape off to, uh, you know, a low-level Aaron R guy, and then that, had to give him to the head of A&R. And then the head of A&R had to give it to the vice president. And then the vice president had to give it to the president. Somewhere along that chain, someone's like, eh, not into right, it. Right, And it just kept getting thrown out. But then he went to a wedding or something, met a lawyer who ended up, you know, getting assigned. Um, and that lawyer knew, the like, the head of A&R or the president of 20 different record companies when there used to be 20 used to different yeah, record yeah. companies. And so that was like... So then... Then we were armed with a demo we, over 1995, we had recorded with Eric Valentine, who produced our first record. So we had a really, you know, we basically had our first record, not in the state that it was in when it came out, but pretty close to it. And some of, you know, some of the tracks even went on there. Um, so we had a very good representation of what we did. And um, we were able to just go to the top of the food chain and get answers. And so, you know, after a while, it was like, okay, well, 20 of them aren't interested, but seven of them are, and of those, four are extremely interested. And they're going to, you know, they, they want to see you play. They want to wine and dine you. They want to do the whole thing, you know. They want to take you to strip clubs. and Right. And that's, and that's
0: actually back in the day when that went on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was the t- sort of the tail end of that because, you, know, you know, I remember getting off tour in 1998 and a good friend of mine or a friend of mine was a music producer and he's just like, check out this thing, Napster. And he was just like, I could see the files loading. (laughs) I was like, hmm, that doesn't look good. (laughs) So it's like, we, I mean, I think, you know, we got in there like right under. Right, right. Just at the very end of it. I mean, very end of it, so.
0: But in terms of, uh, you know, Three or four labels pitching you. What were you guys looking for? Did you want uh, creative freedom? Did freedom you, yeah, one hundred percent. Because everyone was coming with
1: various forms of pretty good money and, and letting, giving us enough in advance to make the kind of record we wanted to uh, make. And you know, so the, the money was there in terms of getting the studios we wanted and how and the equipment and everything we wanted to do. But yeah, creative freedom because we didn't we didn't want anyone telling us at all to do. Yeah. What we felt like well, so, so it feels like, Feels, like, the thing,
0: feels you know? like. excuse me for interrupting, it feels like Steven also, he did have some experience to kind of, you know, he wasn't a spring chicken with bright eyed and bushy tail. Yeah. It seemed like he, he probably knew a little bit.
1: Yeah, you know, he'd he he done some recordings and, uh, yeah, I mean, slow motion, the, the classic version of the people that, that know of that, that, I mean, he did that, I think, in 1994 before mm. I even met him. So, like, he, you know, he had the... Yeah, the sound and, and you know Eric Valentine was very much able to um, you know in combine in combination with Steven to really focus what what that was. Mm-hmm.
0: So. so you're also in a rare opportunity to, and it's when I just spoke with another artist that you know as a as a session guy worked with two different artists where you know they had a hit. So you're playing the clubs, they get packed. You move up to the you know theaters, those get packed. You move up to the Amphitheaters. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must you must have gone through that with you know, "Summer so Charm" life, and you guys of the gate. Well, so, I mean,
1: "Summer Charm" life is just a shot of steroids. Just that, I mean, we we did a lot of overseas stuff promotion, a lot of overseas promotional stuff before we really came back to the states and understood the impact that that song had because had. it came out in April, I believe, '97, and we were doing. Indonesia and Japan and Europe. Why is that though? Do you know? I have no idea. <laughs> and so we, it wasn't till end of I think the summer or end of you know almost early fall where I felt like we started playing in the states, and you know we started showing up at places, and it would be whoa, this is groundswell, you know, or, you know. And there was a, remember we did a radio show for HFS, I think in DC. And we were, we were playing at the stadium, the, what was it, the... RFK. RFK Stadium. But we were playing outside in the parking lot because we were a beep small band. And for our set time, you know, we're about just about to start, and I look up at the stadium, and it's just all the ramps on the... Because you can see yeah, yeah. the ramps going to the stadium. They're, everybody's coming outside the stadium, just flying. <laughs> I was like, that's weird. I wonder where they're going. <laughs> Right into our, right in front of our stage, and it was just a zoo. And because that song had just hit so hard that summer, it was just a massive.
0: Were song. you guys sent out on the road as a club act or were you a support actor? We did. How well, did, how did they? Yeah, our first out? tour,
1: our first tour. Um, God, who was it with? Um, I'm sure every every fan who's going to listen to this would be like, "Oh, that was that band." But <laughs> anyway. The, he got injured. The singer got injured. We, we played Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, and then San Francisco. And by San Francisco, he, the guy had hurt his neck and pulled out of the tour. And we were the opening act. And we we're like, oh my gosh. Like, because another thing that happened on that tour, the first, the day that Semi Charm Life came out in England, and this has affected us this, this day, the day that. A signal came out it was the day that Princess Diana died. Ugh. So here's like semi charm life comes out, and this beautiful, wonderful person is dead. It's just, it's the worst possible timing. So anyway, so this, so then I, I don't know if that was before this or after this, but it felt like it was before that because then this guy getting hurt on our big nas- first national tour, it just felt like, man, well, this is that's not good. That's a bad, it's a bad, a bad, bad omen. omen. But it turned into being the best thing that ever happened because that single was so massive that we would we would have been headlining by the end of that tour. It would have been awkward, like right, band. right. Why can't I think of their name? I think they're Australian or something. But uh, so that was a you know by the end of that tour we were bonafide headliners. And but for a few different tours, the Stones, U2, we've never we've always headlined that day forward. But did you
0: guys open for both U two and the Stones? Yeah.
1: We did like the, in I think ninety seven or ninety eight we opened like six shows for U two and eight for the Stones or something like that. Because we were like the Hit band uh-huh. and they were just going around and grabbing all like the bands that could help out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not that they needed it, but well actually U two did need it. There that was their only... that was the only record they ever Pop did that <laughs> Yeah. It did not work. And the, the stadiums were half full, so they were bummed. But oh, we, were, we were excited. But anyway, the point being, be, because that guy hurt his neck, we became headliners, and we never looked back from that. So right. that, you know, and look, being a headliner is it's the best it's the best way to go. If you can do it, it's much better to be a headliner than an opener That might be obvious, members. but why? You get the big dressing rooms. You get the right parking space. You get the comfort. You get... And, and you get to play later, you get to play at night when the lights are low, you know, when the sun's right. down and, uh, and your lights, your production looks better, And it's just you, know, you can go on and on.
0: Economically it's good, but is there pressure?
1: Well, economically it's just, it's just I mean, economic, it's it's economics are just reality. You either, right. you, are, you either bring people to your shows or you don't. So, um, there's different ways that you can you know, approach it and, the, you know, opening bands and oh. co-headlines and stuff like that can help uh, you know if you get the right package like right now we have a really good we have the right us Jimmy Rara Riot that's like it's it's adding it's one plus one plus one equals five
0: right. you know? who puts together those I know last year it was or two years ago it was Silver Sun pickups and um, that new band
1: yeah um, well we did. We lo- We asked Ocean for a Park list of up. bands that would be available and we'd be interested plus we ask you know if there are people that we like would be available and when Silver Sun was available I was just like I'd love to go out with those guys, and uh, that was. And a that's really you,
0: fun you, the band, and management—kind of that. a yeah. discussion. Stephen, uh,
1: myself, we, you know, and our management, yep, mm-hmm. weigh in a lot on that stuff. Yeah, it's it's critical. I mean, it, you know, if you don't have the, if you have the wrong band, or you or you get a band just because of economic reasons or whatever, it, <laughs> it dilutes like. Mm-hmm message, it dilutes your, uh, the culture of what you're trying to present to people. and That's everything to us. We've we've left so much money on the table because we're way more focused on having, trying to project what we think represents us as opposed to like, what just, you know, gets the fast check.
0: Right, right. So over and over. But it's served you well over the course of your career. I think it helps.
1: I think it's helped our longevity, frankly, because people, you know. We we were used to be lumped in with certain bands, and uh, over time, it's becoming clear like uh, what we represent. What you know, it's it, I think I think it's effective. It just takes time, mm-hmm. you know? and a lot of that was just the marketing that we did. You know, the major label marketing from Electra was just so up the middle. Here, put your face on NASCAR. Okay, sure, if you, if you say so. You know, it's like eh, probably not the. Maybe it was good maybe it wasn't you know right, right. it's probably good for our North Carolina show here today Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know some of, some of those things last a long time it takes a while for people
0: to forget so, so is there anything you look back on like business wise you know, just that exact subject when it is trying to market the band you know is there anything are there any lessons you look back on you know do, is the lesson like stay true to your vision you know don't compromise yeah I mean or it's just
1: every time you compromise you just end up feeling dirty and embarrassed afterwards so it's just you know, it's it's obvious when you do it, and uh, you know, anything you do. Is, I mean, I'm sure it's like making a movie or putting out a record. There's get there's more people involved in decision making yeah, yeah. that don't understand what you're truly trying to do. They're, they they only understand what their job tells them to do, or what their boss is going to reward them for doing, or whatever. So, the more people that are making decisions that aren't internal, band Members or our manager or someone who truly understands what we're doing, uh, you know, then our, our it's the message is going to get diluted. Yeah. So it's just, it's hard to hang on to that. And you, and you can't control everything. It, it would not. It's not efficient to just make try to make every decision. You know, and sometimes mm-hmm. you know, I get calls from Missy cause our manager because he's trying to get a hold of Steve and Stephen doesn't answer the phone for a week sometimes. You know,
0: so <laughs> that's just the way it goes. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the ebb and flow of a career, because when you're, you know, you guys, you know, shot out like a cannon, you had like four four or five singles off of one album, which is, you know, still to this day, huge. Mm-hmm. You know, there must have been so much, was there pressure on number two? Or what, did you guys kind of go in yeah. confident on number two? or?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just that, or the early years were always like, you couldn't put out another record fast enough, and um, it was really just a time thing, you know, it's that classic situation where you have your whole life to write your first record, yeah. but then in two years you gotta come out with another yeah. one and it has to be just as good and if it doesn't if there's not as many singles and you're not as good anymore and there's all that stuff and right. you know, and then at the same time as the digital revolution sort of swept the um, Right, exactly. the music industry, you know, we were facing there's there's headwinds, you know. And then we had internal strife in our band, and so just we faced a lot of headwinds, you know, ninety nine through two thousand ten,
0: <laughs> a lot of headwinds, you know. Well, it's funny you, you touched upon you know Napster. But what was your first impression? I remember mine was like, especially I think when Metallica got involved, the whole lawsuit. I'm like, this is. I was kind of like on there, like this isn't going to last. Like, there's uh-huh. no way the record companies are going to allow allow this. All uh, right. You know, I mean, Yeah. What, what, do you remember your first impression? Were you like, "We need to change," or like, "We got"? No. Nah,
1: I mean, there's you know, nothing you can really do. Um, I remember thinking, I remember thinking the opposite. I was like, "There's, you know, because cause we, my friend that was doing it was essentially stealing the music right there. It's like, how are you going to stop that? It's the internet. I mean, yeah, the yeah. internet is just once it gets tentacles, it has tentacles everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's only getting bigger. So it's, uh, yeah, it's my impression was, you know, Red well, house. yeah. We, I, I I don't know if I thought about, like, the economics of record sales directly, but I remember thinking that looked like a pretty effective way to distribute music. Distribute it, but
0: monetize it, that was another story. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) I'm just, yeah, I'm not talking about monetizing. I'm just talking about distributing,
0: so uh, it's, it's interesting. Back to making a second album off of a gigantic first album. Were you guys, you know, was it... You know, were you handed the keys to the kingdom? Did you get the clout to, you know... Oh, yeah? Not not to say you were careless with money, but looking back, were you like, you know, money's no object? No, no.
1: We've never really been like that. I don't think so, yeah. I mean, we weren't like, you know,
0: know, driving Cadillacs in the swimming pool or something. I don't know. We just... But in terms of like recording, like you know, were you did you guys were we wasteful? S- did you stay local? Did you? Yeah, do it we. In I think. I think Hawaii. Well, yeah, we,
1: No, we. We recorded second album in the Bay Area because we were all still living. Or actually, I moved to L.A. at the end of the, at ninety eight, but why is uh, that? Um, I actually didn't think our band was gonna last. I thought our band was. Uh, we had so much uh, interpersonal strife in our band at the time that it just didn't look. To, to me, like, something I could count on. So I was mm-hmm. like, I need to move to L.A. and, you know, pursue a music, you know, music career. But I know that's what I want to do. This is awesome, but this, this is probably going to end soon. So I better get down there and meet some people. And uh, the only person I met down there was my wife. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, I want to pull another quote of yours. You said, it's hard to survive the music industry. Uh, so many outside and internal factors that get blown out of proportion. Huh. Yeah, but I feel like that just reiterates what you're saying, and and I want to get into it. I know yeah. you guys had you know personnel things yeah. that kind of conflict and out of when the there's been
1: new faces, you know. But uh, yeah, were yeah, you ever were,
0: were you ever dismayed with what it what it constantly what it was or is?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, just how it was
0: unfolding. Now that you're in it. You know, you've got a hit album, but are you still dismayed at how it functions? I guess. Um, I know your situation. In, in makes terms
1: you... of it, in ser- in terms of how the it's changing because of the digital revolution, or just because we're just we're, we're, I, I we're think, part of the.
0: I think because you're part of the machine. Like I think it goes back yeah. to like the things that are. Well, being, no, we
1: benefited from the machine. I mean, yeah. the machine. We had the right album in you know '97, and the machine. All the machine does is just inject it with adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So it just, it shoots it out everywhere. Like I said, our face was on a NASCAR. We were probably on a blimp somewhere. It's like, we just, the machine is awesome when you have the right record. Right. And, 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 and something that like, you know, radio can get behind and all that stuff. So we benefited and we've benefited, I mean, that's the reason we have a career today is because, because the machine just pumped that first record so hard. It became, Third Eye Blind became a brand yeah that's that's when the the brand was born, now you know, and ever since then it's just like how do we nurture it and make you know how do we nurture it and make it more our brand than the brand that our record company was sort of developing for us
0: mm-hmm. is there anything you can point to that was off brand
1: um yeah there's I think there's a video where we're all wearing like white suits and stuff like that that's off brand we all wear black <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, tons of stuff Like, you know Like uh, I mean, there's just a lot of Like, sports time I mean, I actually am a big fan of sports I'm a huge basketball fan But Steven never You know, until the Warriors He was never into sports He's just a bandwagon Jump yeah, on Doug's sure. bandwagon um, So But a lot of the sporting stuff Playing at football games We're not really like a Like, a, have you listened to our lyrics? Like, right. have you listened to Steven's <laughs> lyrics? They it's, This is not sports music, you know? Well, yeah, yeah we're thankful for the opportunity, and it's you know, it's sometimes you make choices because it's like, well, you have an album out, and you want people to know, so you better go play halftime at the football game. But it's not really on brand for us, right? Right. But you know, you have to make. There are certain things that you do because you do want people to know. And this day and age, it's the hard, it's the harder and harder to get people to even know that you have something coming out. And when our record comes out, it's going to be in the you know, it might be on the internet for three weeks that we have and then it, people will just have to find it on their own after that it's just, right because the next video game and the next Trump tweet and the next you know international crisis and whatever it may be it's just gonna completely consume the airspace that we had so that's, that's just the nature of the world we live in now
0: right what was the longest gap you know I want to get into <coughs> like you 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 were in a band called year-long disaster mm-hmm. you also did um, your kind of DJ thing um, were those born out of necessity, like the band's taking breaks, or you know? Yeah,
1: well, they were born out of just just trying to uh, being a little bit burnt out from this the you know the nature of you know, Third Eye Blind album cycle tour, album cycle tour, album cycle tour, and just you know and just all playing you know three album you know the total of thirty six different songs for eight years or whatever three albums worth. And just being like, I need to just, like, get... I kind of wanted to get back to my roots, you know, like, you know, listen to ACDC and Zeppelin and all that stuff. And you're Year Long Disaster... I was actually playing with my friend's band at this tiny club in Glendale, I think, outside of L.A. And I saw Year Long Disaster with a different drummer. And they were doing something that was so completely different than anybody was doing in L.A. And it was just heavy, just super heavy. And I was like, that is the coolest thing. And then right then I was kind of getting tired of the project I was doing with my friend and they another bass player friend of mine ran into the guy at um, the Grove I think in LA and because uh, and, my friend <laughs> the singer from the band who's Daniel Davies who's Dave Davies son from the Kinks, he worked at a kiosk on the Grove like selling hats or something <laughs> but he's, he ran into my bass player friend there and for some reason he gave, he's like can I get your drummer's number and, uh, and he they called me and, I, you know, and that was like love at first sight that was so fun
0: when was that? do you know the, what era? well that was, was
1: right it? after uh, that was right after Out of out of the Bane so probably
0: 2004
1: okay and I just yeah the, St- you know Steven was just completely burnt out and I you know uh, the Ursa Major took five years to make and he he was just on a personal journey just you know that was a tough tough record for him he was just sort of left to his own devices to make that record it's, right it's kind of amazing that it's as good as it is because he was just you know kind of left on his own because he was just totally empty he, and he he was just needed to be reinvigorated and needed to have you know, new ideas and new thoughts and so I could tell that he was burnt and uh and I just you know I was living in LA and I saw these guys and all I wanted to do was just join a band play some shows locally but like of course, <laughs> we have to go get a record deal and get in a van and go ride around all the United States four times and go to Europe. Like all good things, all things that guys in band stream are Like, but it's like I already do that. That's I already I already do yeah. that. I'm not I don't want to do that. But like the band was good, and it was just like the other guys were like, yeah, I want to make it. And I was <laughs> like, dude, no, you don't. <laughs> what <laughs> would eventually so happen to them? Um, basically, the arc of uh, out of the vein, it was, go- was going down. year-long disaster was coming up, and it was doing great. We got, I mean, we, had, we opened for the Foo Fighters. We got to open for Europe for some cool bands. and uh, But then, all of a sudden, as it was just really starting to go well, Third Eye Blind starts ramping up again. And it's just like, you know, Third Eye Blind is that's 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 my life You know, yeah. that's like that's it it was, priority it's, it's what i do you know and it's like i i can't yeah it's it's just i'm not giving that up i'm not giving up you know what 10 years of work with one band just because another one's starting to do well but like who knows like in this day and age a three-piece hard rock trio like you know the songwriting still had a ways to go and, so anyway, that's that's kind of what happened to it. And then then I was trying to do both. So I was there was there was times where I was recording the year long disaster record. I'd fly and we were doing doing in Tucson. I'd fly out. Or I would set aside the week to record the year long disaster record. Great. All of a sudden, all of a sudden the manager calls. Oh, Third Eye Blind just got five shows in a row all on the West Coast. We booked him. Oh my, you know what I going to do? Cancel. It. So what I did? Flew to Tucson. <laughs> tucson flew out every afternoon did the gig at night flew back in the morning recorded all day flew back five o'clock at night five nights in a row i flew back and forth to record during the day and i just after a while i got so burnt out trying to do these i, I do things like play in the afternoon with Eye Blind, drive rent a car drive 250 miles go and go play a club right. gig with year-long disaster and i tried to do it and it just eventually i just it just wore me out
0: well it sounds to me like you really did give it a Good, uh, good college try, but I guess my question is why? Were you were you satisfied with both both things at the same time that you didn't want to give one up? I know you were saying that third eye is a priority, but
1: you know what I felt? I felt more. uh, You know, third eye, third eye blind was an obligation. I wasn't. You know, I wasn't giving that up. I wasn't. And you know, I felt worse about letting the guys in year-long disaster down. About being like, sometimes I just could. You know, they we booked. We got an opportunity to open up for Food Fighters for ten shows, but Third Eye Blind was already booked in Japan. I had to go play in Japan and get a sub to play for arenas opening for the Food Fighters of <laughs> that band. I was like, I would have loved to do that game, man. That would have been fun. And, uh, you know, it was just unfortunate. When have you played, played, every, Saster, we played
0: every Third Eye Blind show? Okay.
1: When year-long disaster needed me the most when we were getting the best gigs and suddenly I wasn't available and it kind of it broke my heart for the other guys in the band Mm -hmm. I just felt bad and so and then but out of that because I got burnt out doing that that's just where I was born out of that did the DJ thing because I was like I need to do something where I control whether I go do a show or go do a show, I, I can control if it. it gets double booked. If it, if if I have to cancel a Just Brad show, so be it. I don't care what my reputation is. Like, it's on me. It's not. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't affect anybody else. So that's that's largely. Besides the fact that I wanted to sort of figure out how, to, how do you DJ and play drums at the same time, because at the time it was fashionable for DJs to hire drummers or have drummers and show up and just play along. Right. And I was like, well, I'm like, it'd be interesting. Why don't you just figure out how to do it? the same time, you know, and now guys have taken that so far, you know, dudes that are just incredible at it, it's like they have two brains, but, um, that, that's where, it was a, it was a combination of being, you know, musically curious about that, plus wanting to control my own destiny, like, Mm -hmm. in
0: terms of bookings, and so. Do either one of those two side projects, were any of the, were they... You know, monetarily, were they paying the bills? Did they no, need to you know, pay the disaster bills? disaster probably
1: cost me one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> and yeah, and but just Brad, you know, would yeah, I would get you know, I'd get thousand bucks to go show okay. and play twelve hundred dollars, something, you know, something. You know, it wasn't about the money. It was you know, it was a nice right, right. It's always nice to get someone when someone hands you twelve hundred dollars cash. You know, it's great, but it, that was just uh, piggybacked on third eye blind tours and stuff like that. You know, so it was. Never about the money. I mean, you know, Jess Bread certainly probably had more upside monetarily. Than right, right. We don't right. disaster. It's just like, you know, all right, need another tank of gas, we're out. It was a year-long anybody, disaster. Uh, anybody's credit card's not maxed out? Yours aren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so.
0: Now, are you married? Yeah. Or were you married back then?
1: I got married in 2011. So, no. Okay. Towards the end. Okay, so you yeah. didn't have anybody being like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no, I did. I was with, I was with this... I dated, we dated for a long time, too. Okay. Yeah. No, she was, I don't, I don't. looking back, I don't know how, It's probably why I married her. Because I was like, how did you not just say no? Why didn't you just say no? I wish you did. It would have saved me a lot of money.
0: <laughs> but whatever. It was worth it. Well, let's get into a little bit of kind of, I guess, for lack of a better description, like the new model. Mm-hmm. Like I recently read where you guys are not going to do LPs, at least full length. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but then here we are trying to make another LP right now. It's like. <laughs> I just don't
0: get it. Where, where, where's your head at? Uh, let me tell you my, my Let me give you my two cents. Yeah, yeah I love to. Yeah. But um, I, you know, and it's I know it's a generational thing, and you and I are you know similar de- generations, and you know obviously the younger generation now that's on Spotify. But I just feel like a an, an album consolidates where you were, where the writers were, where the band was emotionally <laughs> mm-hmm. for a one or two year period, and I think that encapsulates something, and that's meaningful to the art. Yeah. it's the one-offs are just like, they're not yeah. as deep.
1: Yeah, well, the yeah. I mean, that certainly could be the... I, I think what our... We want to do a model where it's like three or four songs. Because a lot of times our songs come in batches of, say, three or four at a time. And we can go record those, and we could go put them out. But it's like, no, you need 12, so now you're going to wait another two years yeah, yeah. before you put that out. And so it's like, yeah, but those songs were of a time of that moment we could have recorded them and then it would have been really reflective of where we're at yeah I don't think we are, we're not really talking about putting out just a single here doing that we're talking about putting out little like chunks like EPs little time, yeah little time yeah, yeah. capsules okay um, so like it kind of it, it's the best of both worlds it's like it gets the immediacy of capturing the artist right as they're writing and feeling these things and then you know without having to wait another two years for eight more songs to show up you know yeah. so but you know we had we went through a really creative period, and suddenly there was eight or nine songs really quickly so it's like, well, if you just get a couple more yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. going to be but those couple more have taken a long time now, so you know we're at the very end of this you know getting there and it's going to come out we actually have a release date I'm not going to say when but um so it's we're at the very end of that rope, but it's just' or, you know that process but it's it's taken a long
0: and are you time are you guys um self-financed at this point in terms of records or do you have a yeah. label
1: uh, I mean we have a label that puts them out I don't know, from the best I can tell from our statements we're paying
0: for it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, this will come out a little bit out of the blue but it, I mean you guys you, know, you were saying it was Electra Electra was part of was they, were they part of Warner Brothers or did they, Warner Brothers yeah play? I
1: think they Yeah. well no they were part of WIA so Warner Electric Atlantic at that time okay but there you know there was like a. I but think there was like big record companies that sort of were on these under umbrellas. I think right, there was like right. four. I think now there's two with all the labels under them or may, maybe even one. I did don't you know. did your
0: first deal kind of come to an end with a consolidation? I think it's like two thousand four where it was consolidation and literally yeah. I think eighty Yeah, packs. they offered
1: us a huge chunk of money to uh, to uh, get released from the label at uh, after out of the vein and we're like uh
0: yeah I okay so they give you like a kill fee
1: <laughs> yeah it was like fantastic and it wasn't until later that we found out that it wasn't even recoupable money so they had, so we just found that out recently so we just got another check so it was good yeah but it's uh, yeah that was a because at the time it was just like here's the internet here's all our distribution channels that we control um, you know not knowing what we know now, which is that it's not that simple. Yeah. Not. There's been this heavy machine that we talked about earlier. Like when you have the right stuff, you want all those channels and you want all the juice, yeah. the money that they that a label in the pub. Because we, you know, you could go spend two million dollars promoting your record, but you know, it, 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 you'll never see that money back if, unless you're unless it works. Yeah. You know, at our level, we don't necessarily want to just.
0: Will you ever do a video again?
1: Yeah, we do. Vid- we're doing tons of videos. Are you still? We do videos all the time. Yeah, we just okay. we're actually going to do our most expensive video coming up. Really? We're, or I mean, most expensive in the last since say,
0: since Deep Inside of You. It, yeah,
1: I mean, since <laughs> the major label videos of yesteryear. Yeah, they got to be like seven. I think that was a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar half recoupable. Um, <laughs> video what a waste what a piece of shit oh my god white suits that's the one i was talking about the worst it's it's almost like the more you spend on a video the worse they are but we yeah so now you know, you know digital cameras yeah everything is everything is so much cheaper like editing you can do you know our guitar player chris is great at making his own videos and everything yeah. stuff he's making some we're doing lyric videos for every song, but we're actually doing it. We did a, a live video for the song called "Kids," and then we're doing a uh, another s- a song called "Screamer," the very f- first song we play it on, on our set. Now we're doing uh, we're doing an actual like uh, narrative video, like like yesteryear, where like uh, a guy writes oh. a, writes a treatment. It's like here, cool. Read the treatment, see what you like. You know, and so <laughs> it's, it's it's gonna be. Uh, but then I saw the bill for, it. I was like, huh? Well, I'm not used to this. <laughs> But anyway, I, I I'm excited about it. it be, I, I like this music, and we're in a good spot. So, do I'm
0: you excited. keep your eye on you know that it is you know you put this video out there and it's on YouTube and it is getting two million views. You know, are you guys seeing like let's keep doing this? We're getting eyes, we're getting ears. It's worth the I, effort. I haven't paid attention to it now. Okay. I
1: look at it just like it's just a lost leader. You know, it's just it's just promotion, and you know? mm-hmm. just you have to spend money to get a little promotion. Um, I know that like you know. There's advertising models and stuff around that, but I don't know. I I haven't. I should probably look into it a little bit more. I haven't, but I will now that this current video. Once once I saw the price tag on it. (laughs) Yeah, cheap. (laughs) I too. I too. Yeah. yeah. So what is? Save your money, people. Rockonomics. Save it
0: all. So what do you have planned? It's funny. The more artists I talk to, it's interesting to hear like their schedules are built out for the next, you know, 12 18 months which which is like
1: Uh we have through I think there's dates through January right now. We and we have yeah, we have our fall pretty well mapped out and uh 2020 is going to be like you you don't do it t- you we do like a um like bus tour every every t- every other year generally. So like Summer Gods will be 2021 again probably okay. if we do this again cuz uh it's just too much you just can't you'd over yeah, you, just, like, you just play um, too much you, know, you gotta you gotta leave people wanting more so um, but we do what you do is you go do festivals and one offs and stuff like that so you just it, it always ends up filling up there's always there's just, people call our agent constantly and are like will they come
0: play do so, you guys get a fair share of corporate or private we, yeah
1: we've done uh, we've done some of that stuff yeah those those things are great because you know, no one finds out about them, and it's uh, they're easy, comfortable. Yeah, we have, mm-hmm. we have, I don't know. Probably five or something. Right here, no. Don't mind them all.
0: Don't mind it at all. <laughs> and I'm sorry, you were saying. So you guys you look do like have... Richard Gear. I just realized. My mom loves <laughs> Richard Gear. Tell your, tell your, have tell you ever your lady heard that friends. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you were young a, Richard Gear, not Richard e- Gear right now. Even better. Yeah. You were saying you guys are uh, teasing a new release. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you, aside from that, what are you looking forward to in the next? I guess, um, a, a, a
1: well, I have two kids, so I'm looking to right, forward to going okay. home in August. Older do uh, Yeah, I got a almost four-year-old. Well, birthday will be in August, and then I have, like, a 15-month-old girl, oh gosh, so, like, oh I'm in full-on dad. People are like, why don't you play a drum solo tomorrow? I'm like, because when I play a drum solo, that means I have to work, like, the, the drum solos I do are, like, Sort of like people think I'm sort of just Brad influenced because I, I'll play some sounds and I'll you know I kind of I I look at I look at them as pieces of music and so I don't like to just do a double bass exhibition right. I like to like find some sounds develop some motifs and like you know do something that's you know a little more interesting so they ask me why I'm not doing it. I'm just like because my hobby time I don't have hobby time I don't yeah. have time to go in my studio and do more than just keeping my drumming skills up. Like, that that stuff takes, like, going in there and just having free time to just kind of meander and listen to some music and find some sounds you want, develop some stuff. And, but I'm looking forward to okay. getting back to that at some
0: point. I got one other question before we get into the, the final five, but I, I didn't want to pass this over because it is another, like somewhat of a side hustle, but you've, you've scored a, a number of, I think, indie films or, or film projects. I was
1: doing, yeah, I was doing that, like, God, starting
0: around 2000, and uh... And is that not something that stimulates you to get more of, or...?
1: Um, yes, but just, I mean, I don't know how, I, I mean, that was back when I just had, I could, were, I could just sit there and Unmarried with stuff. no kids. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, there you go. I, yeah, I could just, I could just sit there and work on stuff and tweak on stuff for hours every day and just get into it and it just I, yeah I would have to I don't know have to get a full you know that would that, be sending my kids off for yeah, days a week to try to get that I don't know I'm in a spot where I mean it would be yes it would be fun to do that it would be great and maybe down the road get back into that but you know I'm in a very fortunate position to like be a dad that gets to be home eight months a year and like for better, for worse, be around my kids a lot because the kids pick up on everything. Yeah. The, good, the good, the bad, and everything in between. So my kids are going to, you know, have all my worst traits too. But, you know, I'm, I I think yeah. it's, a, you know, it's a blessing that I have the lifestyle that I have and I want to use it to
0: get a lot of quality time in there while yep. my kids still give a shit about me. Yeah, hey, <laughs> I get it, I yeah. get it. Do you have so you have a home studio? Do you have? Does the band have a studio? Not anymore now. Was it Morningwood? Yeah, we had okay. that, and then
1: Stephen moved it over to another place where he's living. But it's it's a curse to have your own studio like that because you just you just always since it's always there, you never have to go be, use it. You know, oh, it's so almost it's, like you gotta you gotta lay down the cash and you gotta put it on the calendar to get right. work done. Otherwise, it's just eh.
0: So it wasn't it a studio that would allow for. Another band to come in and it would but pay like, you. you don't necessarily <laughs> want
1: them to come in and use all your precious gear that you've accumulated and all your like yes, we did that for a few people but you don't love that you don't you know it's not just you don't want know, someone to come in and thrashing your stuff so okay.
0: we didn't that much all right All right, final five questions mm-hmm. um, First one's always sensitive if you're from the west coast but hypothetically if your house is on fire, your loved ones are safe. What do you go back and get that has the most sentiment of value to your career? To my
1: career, hmm. I mean, maybe like a, I have every, just about—I mean, 99.9% of every laminate mm-hmm. that I've ever had. So every festival tour, it's—it's it's like a—it's a crate this big, and it's you know three quarters full with just plastic laminates, okay. and it's just. To me, the tactile sometimes, I don't do it very often. I like most like just throwing my stuff in there and forget about it. But every few years, open that up and just kind of look through them. And it's just, it's, I don't know, I like that. I'd be
0: bummed if that was gone. Yeah, like I think that, that might, that, that could be it. Matt from Ra Ra Riot, that was a similar, similar yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, question two is uh, if I was flush with cash to give you a check for a million dollars for then to give to a charity of your choice, one charity, which charity would you donate it to? Um, now that I have kids, I think it would probably be something.
1: You know, I don't know. I'd have to research the charity, but just something for less fortunate children, mm-hmm. and children are in a bad spot. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Question yeah. three is: What would your walk-up music be to Pearly Gates? <laughs> um, probably
1: won't get fooled again.
0: Nice. <laughs> and on the fine uh, drum track. <laughs> <laughs> the other end of that is uh, what's stuck on repeat in hell.
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I have to get back to that. I okay.
0: Just, I, it's funny, some people have a, some people have a, a, a no. problem with that, and others are like,
1: Oh, yeah, no, nothing really. Just, I mean, that's the beauty of music. It's like people complain, Why are you playing that? Why are you playing that? It's just like, just turn it off if you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Why? You know, go find something you do like. <laughs> you, know, you don't like our band anymore. Go find something you do like. There's so much good it's stuff. It's free. Out there. It's free, yeah, it's <laughs> totally free. Go stream something out. Like, yeah, you know, that's a funny funny thing about how people get,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last question is what concert have you seen as a fan that uh, you know was most impactful to you?
1: I don't know about impactful, but I just had so much fun when I went and saw um, they just put out songs for the deaf. Oh, Queens of the Stone Age. Queens of the Stone Age, and Dave Grohl did a club tour with them, and it was Slims and SF, and I got super drunk, and I was just like, (laughs) second row, and Dave Grohl was just murdering on drums, and they were so good, and that album is so good, and that music is just, that's a great album. Yes. But just to watch Dave Grohl play drums and just be drunk in the pit, it was just, that
0: was probably the most fun I've ever had on a show. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I have one other question I meant to ask earlier. If you couldn't make a gig for any reason, you know, daughter's birthday, who would you call to sub? Someone who's not as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> All right. Well, Brian, thanks for giving me your time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Was a lot of Brad. Fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought you said Brian. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. That was fun. <laughs> Huh, kind of does sound like I call him Brian. But judging by my reaction and lack of embarrassment leads me to think I did, in fact, call him Brad. But give it a listen. You be the judge. I actually, I honestly, I went back and listened to it over and over again because in my mind, I was like, I I, I called him Brad. But I got to admit, it could go either way. But either way, thank you, Brad Hargraves. Funny, I was more worried about pronouncing his last name. He spells Hargraves, H-A-R-G-R-E-A-V-E-S. So was it Hargreaves? Hargraves, but I did make the effort and I did get confirmation from his uh, from his people, so uh, we're good there. All right, Third Eye Blind's new album, Screamer, will be released on October 18th. And you can catch them live at Austin City Limits on October 11th and 13th. After that, they've just announced a month-long tour promoting the album in November, so check thirdeyeblind.com for details and dates. You can follow Brad on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter using the handle justbrad23 for all. Purely by coincidence you can also follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. God, imagine that. Uh, for all your news and updates. Come back and visit us next week for a whole new show with a guest who was recommended to me by episode 60 guest Jim McGorman. All right. Episode 62 has run out of road. Good night, Cleveland.